Bow our heads and hearts. Oh, Father in heaven, uh, we thank you once again um, that you are the true and living God, and you are near and not far. You are personal. You speak to us. We speak to you. You who made the eyes, you see. You who made the ears, you hear. And so now, Lord, um, as we get ready to hear from your word, Holy Spirit, we pray that everything done here in this moment would not be by might nor by power, but by your spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. And so, Lord, we pray that it would be your words. Uh, You would just use me, Lord. I am your vessel. Uh, You are uh, the potter. I am the clay. Lord, have your way uh, because it's your words, O Lord, that they are truth, they are life, and they are spirit. Your words are what we need, O God. Although heaven and earth will pass away, it is your words that will by no means pass away. And so, Lord, we uh, commit this time to you for you to be honored and glorified. And as, as Moses prayed, Lord, show us your glory in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And the saints said, Amen. Amen. All right. A man by the name of A.W. Tozer once said, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Our worship is either pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. See, the question is, saints, then resides for us is, do we know him and how well do we know him? Do our thoughts of our Lord align with what he has said and revealed about himself in scripture? Uh, creation, and the gospel. As you guys know, faith comes by hearing and... Okay, now I know y'all with me now. Praise God. It's also been said that our theology determines our doxology. What that means is our understanding of who God is reflects in the way we live for him. But, dot, 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 what happens when we find ourselves in moments or even seasons of doubt and despair. When, when we find ourselves and those around us discouraged and doubtful, how, how are we to respond when we are commanded to have faith and trust in God no matter what? What happens when the things around me don't match the God that is in me? And we can go on about real situations, real people, real followers of Jesus who are what we call wrestling with God. See, saints, true faith doesn't always understand God's means, but it always trusts God's motives. The theme of this book, Habakkuk, is trusting in God moment by moment in times of uncertainty. See, if you guys have been walking with Jesus any, any limited time, you know when things are good, it's easy to trust God, right? When everything's solid, when we're laying down in green pastures, he's leading us beside still waters, shepherds somewhere around here, right? But it's when we go through those shadows of the valley of death where we're like, shepherd, you, 
if you're not around, where are you, right? And so true Christians find out the measure of your faith in a time of uncertainty. Amen? Y'all with me? Amen, somebody. Praise God. The book of Habakkuk, we actually see the prophet perplexed, confused, but he actually gets the liberty of basically having a Q&A with God. How many of you in here would love to have a Q&A with God? Okay, let's be honest, church house, right? Be careful though, right? Be careful. Holy ground, holy ground. We get to get a front row seat of Habakkuk as he wrestles with what he's seeing in the land of, Ju- of Judah. He's wrestling with the evil and the rebellion that has taken place. The book breaks down in three major parts between chapter one, two, and three. Chapter one, he's perplexed. He's confused. And he's in the what we call questioning stage. Uh, Lord, I, I don't know what's going on. I see this evil that's going on and I know you're a holy God, but what it looks like is you're kind of letting these people slide. It looks like they're kind of doing whatever they want. And so he's confused, but he does one right thing. He takes it directly to the Lord. We call that our secret place, our prayer closet. It's been said that the safest space for our secret things is the secret place. Amen? Somebody with me? Right? Because sometimes, you know, our hearts aren't safe in the hands of the saints. And, and, and I mean that by saying, be careful who you talk to, right? Be, use wisdom on who you share things with. But one thing is for sure, when you take secret things to the secret place, you know he hears you. Amen? You don't have to worry about someone misunderstanding it, right? Because God already knows. And so Habakkuk, that's what he does. He takes it directly to God. He doesn't take it to the captives of uh, the Judean captives. He says, right to the Lord, what is going on and why? And God actually answers him. And we get to see that in chapter one and a little bit of chapter two. And then in the beginning of chapter two, he's no longer in that questioning stage. He's actually in the waiting and trusting stage. Like, okay, Lord, I hear you. And I'm going to wait to see if my heart is not right. Correct me. Right? How many of us are like, yeah, correct me, Lord. You know, it, don't lie to church house, y'all. Okay? It, it's, it's, not, it's not something we're celebrating to hear a correction, right? Although we need it, right? And, we, and God does it because he loves us. So chapter two, he's seen in the beginning waiting like, like a, a watchman on a tower, eagerly for the Lord to respond to what he is asking. And then profoundly in chapter three, he transitions to praising and thanking the Lord. And it's a beautiful, wonderful chapter. We won't get into it this time, but hopefully next time we will. But he's rejoicing. And so literally we see a, a mighty man of faith who clearly has a personal relationship with God and he's wrestling with things that he's seeing that he does not understand. And so what that does is it throws out that whole idea of once you come to Jesus, everything's perfect, no more problems, right? You know, they say more money, more problems, right? More God, no problems, people would think. But the reality is that's just not the way it works. As you guys know, we live in a broken world. God did not create the world this way. That was our fault, right? By, by one man sitting into the world. And some of you are like, Adam and Eve, nope. If it wasn't Adam and Eve, it would have been you and I at some point in time, right? So it's our fault, but God, again, sent Jesus to repair that. And he's working through us to help. So remember that, right? So this contrast is quite startling, saints. The first is basically a well of despair and doubt. And the last is a shout of confidence and praise. Why? Because he took it to the Lord and God is faithful. A scripture to help to understand context of Habakkuk 
is a very familiar verse in Isaiah 55, and it reads, uh, verse 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Okay? So what that means, saints, is although God is um, close to us and among us, he's also above us and outside of us. That's God's transcendence, right? And so there are things that we can understand about God, but the Bible says the secret things belong to the Lord. So there's some things that we're not going to understand, right? You'll find out when you get to heaven, okay? Just like when you tell your little two and three-year-old, you've got to trust me, right? Their mind cannot comprehend at that point in time. And that's where Habakkuk is. And there's other things that he says, search, seek, and find, right? Ask me and I will tell you. Uh, either way, the exhortation here is to bring it directly to God. Amen, saints? Amen. Now, in this particular chapter, chapter two, the verse uh, that comes out and sets the tone for it is chapter uh, verse 20. And it says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Basically, God is saying, I'm on the throne, I'm in charge, and everyone listens to me. Amen? I like, that. I like the way that sounds, right? We, we need that right now, like all of that. Amen? And it's coming. And so the prophet is reminded that no matter what you see, no matter what you think is happening, it's not happening outside of my control, right? He has everything within the span of his hand. He is sovereign, he is in control, and he's working all things together for your good and my good. And so I don't know about you, that brings me a great deal of comfort, right? My pill is a little softer at night when I can remember that God's still in control. Amen? Now, in this text, it contains an ancient Hebrew literary device called parallelism, often found in Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon. And this section of scripture contains what we call five woes. Whoa, right? In five stanzas with three verses each in the form of what we call a taunt song to the king of Babylon. And it's directly from God. Now, I want you to think about this. If God makes a song, okay, he's a creative worship, by the way. If God makes a song about you taunting you, that's not good. Like, that's not a number one hit that you want to hit the billboards, okay? King Nebuchadnezzar has a taunt song about him from God. I would not want to be on that side. I don't know about you, right? But it's in scripture and it's in the word of God. And we're going to glean through it. Some of it, I went over five months ago. So you guys got to go back and, and listen to that message, but I'll glean through some of it as we, as we go along. So this taunt song he has, um, sadly against Nebuchadnezzar, as Nebuchadnezzar is getting ready to take over Judah, right? And so uh, if you guys remember, if you read through the Old Testament, Israel has a history of going into bondage, right? They just have a history of not being able to stay in God's place for whatever reason. You remember, it started back in Egypt, right? 400 years. They cry out, God delivers. Everything's good, right? Hooray, we're done. No, we're not. Then comes Assyria, right? 10 northern tribes. Then comes Babylon. Then comes Medo-Persia. Then comes Greece and then Rome when Jesus, when Jesus is born into Rome. All those nations, why? Because they did not remember the Lord. They forgot. He was mighty among them, mighty signs and wonders. And then they uh, forgot. Moses goes up in the mountain for 40 days, make us a golden calf. They uh, 
forgot, right? And it, we, if we're not careful, that can be us as well. Now, these woes are against sins that are actually still very, very prevalent in our society today. Really briefly, in verse 6 through 8, it's selfish ambition in the form of extortion, speaking of Babylon. In 9 through 11, it's chapter 2, by the way, covetousness, greed, the Ten Commandments. So greed basically uh, is an intense lusting after what you don't have or more of what you already have or what someone has. That's covetousness. And then verses 12 through 14, exploitation, taking advantage of people. This is what Babylon, with Babylon the uh, nation was doing. Verses 15 through 17, drunkenness and violence on people and, you guys ready for this? Animals. I know you dog lovers, cat lovers, right? Um, they weren't just doing that to people, but they were doing that to animals as well. Now, if that was happening in our day, sadly, people would probably be more outraged about the animals. Am I right? I mean, some of us now in our society care more about animals than we do people. I think that's sad, right? That there, there's a mix up there. But Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, they didn't care. They were sweeping the land. They were taking advantage. They were exploiting people. They were getting drunk with violence. And then lastly, the worst one of all, idolatry. And guess what? God sees it all. He sees it all. So although God is going to use a wicked nation, more wicked than Judah at that time, to actually discipline God's people, he's also going to discipline Babylon after he disciplines his own people, right? And that's just the way God works. And he takes care of two birds and one stone. However, one is disciplined for correction under restoration, and one is disciplined for destruction because that's what they've chosen. Does that make sense? Okay. Ultimately, saints, sin is not destructive because it's prohibited. It is prohibited because it's destructive. This is not this thing where God just says, sin, just be, don't sin just because I said so. No, sin destroys you, right? It separates you from God. It destroys families. It destroys communities. It cripples the body of Christ. It is a very, very big deal. And for the Lord, there's no stone that's going to be left unturned, right? Every sin will be accounted for. It's either you pay for it or Jesus pays for it. I'll take Jesus for 200 for the cross. I don't know about y'all, okay? I'll take Jesus all day long, and I thank God for that. It's been said that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. That sounds like Vegas. I don't know. That's pretty bad, right? Don't play with it. It destroys us. And so we're looking at an entire nation that is being judged for their sin, and it's now being chronicled through the prophet. The history of the world occurs over a hundred times in the verses of scripture. It means alas for you or how tragic for you. The NLT translates it to what sorrow awaits you. It's like a warning. That's bad for you. Almost like I hope I'm not around when that happens, right? That's what's happening in the taunt song. Now for context, for note takers, Isaiah 520 says this, woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. If you guys remember in the gospels, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes and lawyers, they got a hefty list of woes from the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Woe unto you, woe unto you. You don't want to be on the woe side. I don't. 
You don't want to be on the woe side. God is gracious, but he's also just. This begs the question, saints, are there anything in our lives right now that will provoke a woe out of our Savior for us? The prophet Haggai says, consider your ways. King Solomon in Ecclesiastes says, remember your creator in your youth. The reality is that in life, we have many trials and tribulations. But I thought about this. How many of them are actually self-inflicted? That was on us. That, that, that wasn't just happenstance. That wasn't the result of a broken world. That was just a dumb decision I made, right? It wasn't even a mistake. I knew it was wrong. It was, it was a poor decision, right? How many of those in our lives that that's on us, right? And still God is gracious and still God is merciful. He says to Israel, my hand is stretched out all day long to a rebellious, stiff-necked generation. This is the character of our Savior. Some of our marriages, relationships with our kids, our family members have woes waiting in queue from the Lord. May we examine ourselves before the Almighty. Amen? Y'all still with me? Amen. Praise God. So I'm going to glean over the outline. I'm, I'm going to say a couple things about each one before we get to where I was five months ago. But chapter one, there's a, he's, he's a Q&A. He sees what's going on and he's questioning God why and how long. And then God answers him and said, if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. But I'm raising up this nation, Babylon, to come in and exile Judah for 70 years. Jeremiah talks about it. He, he speaks about that to Habakkuk. Habakkuk is perplexed. Like, are you kidding me? Babylon? So you're telling me that the medicine is worse than a disease. Babylon was the worst at that time. And Habakkuk is perplexed. And that was chapter one. And then God answers him again. And Habakkuk responds with the character of God and the promises of God. I know you are holy. I know you can't look on evil, but I also know that we won't die. Why? Because you promised through the nation of Israel, through the seed of Abraham, that the Messiah would come. So you can't destroy us, right? So I know we won't die. That is chapter one. And then we enter the beginning of chapter two, and he's seen waiting for the answer from the Lord. And God then tells him, I'm going to show you a vision. And I want you to write it down, make it plain, so all may see. I see Babylon. I'm going to judge them. But you, Habakkuk, the just, my righteous one, you have to live by faith. And that's where we get the doctrine of justification by faith. Paul quotes that very verse three times in the New Testament, where we recognize that we are declared righteous by placing our faith and trust in Christ alone. Okay? Like, that's it. All right? Well, what about works? Good question. Faith in Christ produces good works, but it's not the root of good works. Not the source of, it's not the fruit of good works. That makes sense? Faith is the source and then fruit is the, what, what that produces, right? So Habakkuk, that's what happens um, up till chapter, uh, verse four. And then we get into verse five. And then now he starts uh, speaking of the characteristics of Babylon. And the first verse says this, I'll just read it. Verse five of chapter two in your Bibles. Indeed, he says, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man and does not stay home because he enlarges his desires as hell and his, he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers nations for himself. He gathers to himself all nations, heaps up for himself all peoples. And so speaking of the nation of Babylon, 
God continues to highlight a proud man. Now we can do a whole sermon on pride, right? Sermons like forever because pride just never ceases in all of us. There's no way around it, right? It's been said that pride is the only disease known to mankind to infect everyone except the one who has it, right? That's how bad it is. Like we all see it, but you don't. Like it's, it's pretty bad, right? And it's found in every place, every high place, low place, you name it. Pride is found everywhere. But the Bible says that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, right? Now, humility is not thinking less of yourself, that I'm just this horrible person, because that's still pride, because you're still the main subject, right? We forget that. It's called false humility. Humility is just, just not thinking yourself as much, right? It's thinking of others in Jesus first. It's recognizing that I need the grace of God moment by moment, season by season, day by day. There's not a moment I don't need the grace of God. I always need God's grace. Amen? And as soon as you say, no, I think I'm good, take heed lest you fall, right? So this is Babylon. So he tells them, look, this wine thing, right? It's a problem. It's a national sin. It's causing a lot of issues and it's causing the entire nation to go astray. The Bible says the eyes of man are never satisfied. Really? Yes, really. It's pretty bad. So he talks about how he's a proud man and he explains how he's proud and greedy and if you look on your outline, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That was, that was kind of the main point. Now, this whole wine thing, I know for, for, for Christians, it's like an up and down thing. Now, me personally, I choose my conviction. I just don't touch it. Uh, I've never met anyone filled with the Spirit and wanted it. I've never seen anything in Scripture where they were filled with the Holy Ghost and say, give me a fifth of vodka. I've never heard that, seen it, or thought of it. Okay? I, I, I never heard anyone... Um, under the influence and then desiring to do things of God, okay? So I'm, just, I'm not saying that it's impossible. I'm just saying I haven't seen it and it's rare and I haven't seen it in scripture, right? So while the Bible says, do not be drunk, it doesn't say, hey, don't drink at all, right? So I just say, hey, that's between you and the Lord. Um, you know, obviously be careful, obviously be wise. I don't wanna be a stumbling block to anyone. So me personally, I choose not to mess with it, right? But there's just too many warnings, in my opinion, in scripture that causes a lot of issues. Amen? So I think we need to be careful. Okay? Very, very careful. So when I look at the contrast of drinking and, and wine and those things, it's been said that like wine is like the, the counterfeit Holy Spirit, right? Because when, when you get under, under the influence, you lose control right? But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have control, right? When you get under the, in, under the influence of wine, you become violent, right? When you get under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you become gentle. And so when you look at the contrast, you put it on a scale, you're better off just not, not being wise, right? And being filled with the Holy Spirit. So he, uh, God, through this taunt song, calls out their first, not the first woe yet, but he goes into what their national sin is, which is drunkenness. And then you look at point two, verses six through eight. I'll just read, I'm not gonna read the whole thing. I'll just read the first, first uh, verse, I'll read six. Will not all these take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, woe to him who increases what is not his. How long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges. So now God's calling them out for what we call selfish ambition, okay? Saints, we're, 
ambition in itself is not wrong. You should want to work hard. You should have goals. You should accomplish them, right? But the issue is when you do it just for yourself, when you're out just to gain, 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 and then guess what? Your ambition becomes more important than people and God. That's when you have a problem. The Bible tells us our ambition should be the kingdom of God, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things will be added unto you. A question that often comes in my mind. I hope everybody in here knows that God loves you. Okay. Amen. Somebody. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Hopefully it hasn't grown so common that you're like, yeah, I know. I know God loves you. No, God loves you. Right. He loves each of us as if there's only one of us. But I do believe another question you need to ask, but is God pleased with me? Right. I know he loves me. The cross is undeniable that God loves me. Right. But my life should start asking, is he pleased with me? The psalmist says, I delight to do your will, O God, because your law was it's in my heart. Is he pleased with me? And so the apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, therefore, I make it my aim, a.k.a. ambition, to be well-pleasing, whether absent or present, to be well-pleasing to the Lord. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is in contrast to the pagan nation of Babylon. Sadly, in contrast to God's people when they're in rebellion. What things are your aim? Every day when you wake up, what is your goal for the day? What did Jesus say? He said, I always do the things that please the Father. He has not left me. I am not alone. For us as believers, our ambition is to please the Lord. I don't want to be outside of his will or outside of his timing. I want to be in his will and in his timing. I want to do everything to please him. When he comes back, I want to have oil in my lamp. Okay, amen, somebody? All right. I, want to, I don't want to, hey, yo, I got no oil. Now you ain't getting my oil, right? I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. I want to please the Lord. And so he calls out their selfish ambition. In verses 9 and 11, sorry, 9 through 11. I won't read them all. I'll just read the first nine. He calls out their covetousness and greed. And he says, woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. So God calls out the covetousness of the Babylonians. Everything they got was ill-gotten gain. Everything they got was for the purpose of building their own empire of safety and security. So Babylon was known for their big, great walls and architecture. They were absolutely amazing. They actually thought they can keep God out. They thought they can build a tower high enough. Sounds like uh, Old Testament, somewhere in Genesis. In Babel, people of Tower of Babel. Now, if I ever seen the people that were unified, right? For the wrong reason. They were trying to build a tower to God. They were unified in evil. So unity can be a bad thing, depending on the motive, right? Depending on the ambition. And so Babylon thought they can build these towers up, and God is saying those things are come tap, falling down. As the saying going goes, Babylon has fallen, right? And as we know through history, they did fall. Saints, in reality, it's futile to think that we can build walls high enough to keep the Lord out. Amen? You think you can hide things from the Lord. In Ezekiel, 
He writes to them and he says, the priest, he sees them through the wall. They're, they're worshiping idols with their backs to the altar. God sees. He who made the eye, he sees. He who made the ear, he sees. In contrast to the false idols that have hands and can't touch, mouths and can't speak, and eyes and can't see, right? Our God is alive and he's active, but covetousness and greed will destroy us. On your outline, godliness with contentment is a great gain. Ask the rich man, how much more? Just a little bit, right? Ask the gambler, how many more bets? Just two more, right? You will never be satisfied. Be satisfied with what God has already provided. Is my mic off? Test, test, test. So he calls Babylon out for their greed and their covetousness. May we be content. I think about the scripture that Jesus said, that what does it profit a man? to gain the whole world, but then lose his soul, right? What price tag would you put on your soul? I often ask people, hey, would you sell your eye for a million dollars? Negative, right? What about your ear? Okay, no, those are precious. There's no price tag for those. Well, how much more your soul, right? But yet many people are doing it over and over with possessions and greed and things of that nature. The reason why saints it will never be enough is because you weren't created to be satisfied by those things, right? It's like why you can't put water in your gas tank because your car wasn't created to function on water. And it's just, all it takes is a little bit of time for your car to realize you duped me. I can't keep running. This, is, this isn't gas. This is water. It's the same thing with us, saints. If we continue in trying to be satisfied and drink from the water of the well of the world, you will thirst again. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. I'm just quoting him. Luke 12, he says, take heed of covetousness. That covetous man was so consumed, he was building barns and houses. And then that day, Jesus said, thy soul is required of you, right? And it was too late. But saints, it's not too late for you. It's not too late for you. And so he calls out that woe. They tried to build a wall. They thought that they can escape the Lord. And then point number four, we'll actually read through it on this one. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. Love does no harm to their neighbor. And so if we look at the text, it says this, verse 12 in your Bibles. Woe unto him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, it is not of the Lord of hosts. Is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people's labor to feed the fire? And nations weary themselves in vain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, and the waters cover the sea. God acknowledges that this beautiful town that they built, this beautiful city in Babylon, was built on bloodshed. It was built on evil. It was built on covetousness and violence. For me, this brings great comfort to know that nothing gets outside of his eyes. Right? It may not be when we want it to happen, but God sees everything. And so many of us have been hurt by people. Some of us have seen violence in our own families, on people we love. And this text reminds us that God is always going to judge righteously. Right? God is going to judge according to his perfect law that he has established, which is a perfect reflection of his holy character. And so I don't have to get antsy and say, well, God, you haven't done anything yet. It, it's coming. Right? Our heart is that they would be saved. But judgment is coming one way or another. 
Saints, God cares about more about one soul than any architectural building, institution, or materials. One soul, more important than all the riches and possessions that money can buy. He cares that much about the one sheep that gets away. He cares that much about the lost coin. He cares that much about the lost son, right? We see that in scripture. Saints, we cannot exploit image bearers of God and expect to escape God's righteous judgment. So Babylon was an architectural marvel, but verse 13 tells us that the Lord would make it all food for the fire. What does that mean? Is that like we're going to have a barbecue? No, we're not going to have a barbecue, okay? What that means is it's all going to burn, right? It's all just office space on the 9-11 building in New York. It's office space, right? It's going to burn. It's coming down. And so it's foolish to think that we can enjoy all this material gain at the violence and exploitation of image bearers of God, right? They call it the golden rule for a reason. It comes from the Bible. Now, I've been, I've been extremely blessed to be the campus pastor here on, at Hillcrest. I have the blessing of ministering to preschoolers all the way to, to uh, 12th graders. And so when I walk through the campus, there's like, pre, like kindergarten, elementary on one play yard and then um, preschool on this one, right? And every time I walk through, I love hearing the little kids, Pastor Camper, Pastor Camper. Hey, thank you for teaching us the Bible. I just absolutely love it. It's awesome. It's fantastic, right? I'm like a celebrity. It feels great, right? For the little kids, of course. And then they come up and give me hugs. And I'll tell you this. When I often do like discipline for kids in elementary when they were in the senior pastor camper's office, this right here is mainly what we talk about, the golden rule, right? The golden rule. And we'll talk and say, did you like when they did that to you? Well, no. Well, then why'd you do it to them? What's the golden rule? I know, Pastor Camper, do unto others as you would have do, do unto yourself, right? And I love it. But this right here is a central teaching of following Jesus that the whole world has adopted. Pagan places use this. Well, do us into others, right? Well, it came from the Bible. It came from the Holy Word of God. The Word of God has transcended communities and society. We, they use things that are in Scripture and they don't even realize it. It came from the Bible. And so we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. Why? Because each person is an image bearer of God. A great application for us. Are we more invested in food for the fire than in loving people? You don't have to answer out loud. I tell people, in Christ, there's no condemnation, but there is conviction, right? And conviction is good. It redirects you back to the Lord, back to the truths. We have to ask ourselves, when was the last time we shared our faith with someone? prayed for someone, encouraged someone when they were down, did something for someone who could not repay you, right? Where truly is our treasure? Is it in building things for ourselves? Nothing wrong with working, nothing wrong with those things. But when they become more important, right? It's priority. When they become more important, then we know we have a problem. Verse 14 reassures that Babylon was filled with bloodshed and exploitation just as it was the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. And I look forward to that day when a lion lays down with the lamb, when the children's playing by the viper's nest, right? And we have Jesus ruling and reigning on the throne of David. And we get to see what it's really like with Jesus on the throne without all the evil and without all the exploitation, right? I can't wait. I look forward to that. 
The good news is we get a taste of it every time we have fellowship with Jesus, right? With the Holy Spirit every time. See, eternal life starts as soon as you trust in Christ. That moment. Jesus says this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and your son. As soon as you know Jesus, eternal life begins. You get to taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Somebody in here. Okay. Right. This is good stuff. This is amazing. So even when all the outside world is in turmoil, right? We are like in the calm, the eye of the storm where we have the Holy Spirit and we have the peace because we have the presence of God. You know what the patriarchs figured out? They looked at all the promises of God. Now, this is my, my theological opinion, okay? They looked at all the promises of God. And the one they cherished most, Moses said, your presence. He said, Lord, if you don't go up, I'm not going, right? David said, in your presence is fullness of joy. They figured it out. I just want your presence. Just where you are, I want to be. And God wants to dwell among his people. He wants, to, he wants an intimate relationship with each and every one of us. In fact, that's what you were created for. That's why we struggle in relationships when they're not godly, right? Hint, hint. Okay, remember? In Christ, no condemnation, but there is conviction, right? So if we're in relationships and we're in dealings that involve people who are not, who do not know the Lord, you're going to have turmoil. It comes, you have turmoil when they are, right? Because there's still flesh we're dealing with. I just say change your mission, right? If it's someone who's not saved, I, I want to be a light to them, right? And while I can't bring everyone to Jesus, I can bring Jesus to everybody, right? Because he lives inside of me in the person of the Holy Spirit. And I can talk with him and he talks with me and I can share the best news ever. Amen. And that's the news Babylon needed to hear. But they ignored it. I can't wait till Christ comes back. Amen. Amen. And so, saints, we need to do as to others as we would have done unto us. Love does no harm to its neighbor. This was not Babylon. This was not Nebuchadnezzar, right? And sadly, even though Judah hadn't reached the evil that Babylon reached, they weren't doing that either, right? There's an indictment on God's people too. Saints, the Bible says judgment starts at the house of God. It starts with us. We're the examples. We're the light. And we constantly have to ask ourselves, Holy Spirit, help me, please. Right? It starts one at a time. Right here, right now. So, do as unto others as you have done unto you. And then point number five, verses 15 and 17. In your Bibles, here's what it says. Another woe, it's coming. Woes are coming. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk, that you may look on his nakedness. You are filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink and be exposed as uncircumcised. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you and utter shame will be on your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will cover you and the plunder of beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it. This woe is due to the nation's debauchery and immorality. So they were not only getting drunk themselves, but they were passing the bottle. Yo, you too. Right? Here you go. Okay. They were influencing other people to get drunk. And many historians believe that they were doing that to weaken them to take advantage of them. 
Now, if a lot of us think, you think about people in your lives, even your own self, how many times you do things when you're under the influence that you regret? Matter of fact, when I was in college, that was the main excuse. Oh, I was drunk. I, I was drunk. That's why I did it, right? Have you ever heard anyone say, oh, my bad, I was under the spirit? My bad, I was filled with the spirit. I apologize. You don't hear people apologizing for being filled with the Holy Spirit, but you often hear them apologizing for stuff they did while under the influence of alcohol and other stuff too, right? So you be the judge. Which one's more fruitful for you, right? The nation of Babylon, it had completely rolled into their entire philosophy of how they rule. Now, again, the issue with alcohol, like I said, strong drink has caused many to go astray. Some examples, remember Samson? Remember two guys by the name of Nahab and Abihu? You guys remember them? Leviticus? Okay, try to offer strange fire. Well, many believe they were drunk, right? Many believe they're under the influence of alcohol. Lost daughters? Okay, I mean, it's in scripture, right? It's on the list of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Drunkenness, right? It's also a work of the flesh in Galatians 5. And lastly, uh, in Proverbs 31, as she gives instruction to her son, King Lemuel, she said that kings should not drink it because they would forget the law and pervert justice, right? So that tells me when I drink, I forget stuff. I drink too much, right? And it says you give strong drink to those who are perishing that they may forget their sorrows, Right? As I said, I think it was a week before last, the world drinks to forget things, and we drink to remember. We drink at communion, right? We drink to remember what Jesus did for us, to look back within and look forward. This is what their condemnation was. Apostle Paul calls it in Ephesians 5, 18, those who take notes, he calls it dissipation. It's been said that drunkenness is a waste of resources that should be submitted to Jesus, Right? My life, your life, not your own. Doesn't belong to you. You've been bought with a price, not of wood, hay, stone, gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, right? It's been said that the greatest act of faith is Abraham offering his son, but the greatest act of love is God offering his, amen? And that was the bloodshed. That's why your life is valuable, because that's what God is willing to pay. There's, there's no, there, it's priceless. There's no price tag on it. So we want to use our lives and our bodies to honor the Lord. From time to time, I get to the honor of speaking uh, to the men at the rescue mission in Oxnard. I remember a few months back, I forgot his name, but he was like 6'9". He was like a giant. And I happened to be teaching on David and Goliath. And I was teaching on David and Goliath, and we know that uh, we talked about giants that are in our lives. And he's an, he was a former NFL player, and he was actually in Bible college. And he told me, when I asked him, I said, hey, you know, what, what, what's, your, what's your giant? And he's like, alcohol. I was sober eight years. I was doing so good. And then I was around one of my buddies, and he pressed me to the bottle. And then I relapsed. And when I relapsed, I relapsed. Gone completely. My wife left me, and that's how I ended up here, you know. And so you hear these stories and then you have to wonder, like, why do we still engage? Not just alcohol, just things that cause us to go astray in such a devastating way. Eight years, all that down the drain, right? Losing your family. Saints, it's not worth it. And it's not fruitful, 
right? But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen, saints? All right. Now, again, while the Bible doesn't prohibit it, it does give warnings. Verse 16 says that you made them to drink and they were filled. You will be filled with the shame instead of glory. And you will drink my, the cup, my right drink of my cup of my right hand. Now that saints, we hear the cup of fury, the hand of God. It's a symbol of divine retribution and judgment. Again, saints, God is loving, but God is just, right? We have to think of him as a loving father, but also a righteous judge. And so a righteous judge, if he goes on and we say, well, no, God is loving. So he just has to let it slide. If you see crimes just being exonerated by a judge, he's not a righteous judge. Right. I don't want him. I don't want him in my jurisdiction. I'm moving out of county, different county. I don't want to be in a city where, where the judge is not righteous. Right. So when we see divine retribution and judgment, it's good. Right. It's good because everything God does is good. Like he defines goodness. When we say good, we're really talking about God. Right. If you remember the gospels, they came to Jesus and say, good teacher. He said, hold, paraphrase, paraphrase, hold. Why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. Are you recognizing that I'm God in the flesh? Or are you just trying to like test me like the Pharisees, right? He is the definition of good. He can't do bad. He can't do wrong. And he cannot sin. Therefore, he can't sin against us. That makes him the most trustworthy being in all the universe. Amen? We can trust him. Saints, we must remember vengeance is the Lord. May we not take matters into our own hands, but leave that to the Lord to repay. And then, I know this is hard, may we not rejoice when our enemies fall. May we not just see, I told you I knew it was coming, right? Don't do that. I know it's hard. I knew, I knew we had it coming about time, right? Don't do that. The Bible says don't rejoice when your enemy falls. Because here's the reality. If not for the grace of God, that's you too. Right. If not for the mercy of God, that's every single one of us. Saints, we're not we're called to not overcome evil with evil, but to overcome evil with good. Saints, the Bible says that it's God's goodness that leads us to repentance. It's not God's judgment that leads us to repentance. It's God's goodness. Now, judgment might, might invoke some fear of the Lord. Y'all, some of y'all need that. Right. We need the fear of the Lord. But it's God's goodness that leads us to repentance. Right. And so we're not called to rejoice when the enemy falls. Amen. Amen. I love what uh, August, I think it was Augustine. Well, it doesn't matter. It, it, someone said it. He says, oh, Lord, I never understood the meaning of your love until I understood the meaning of your death. Mm, that hits. I never understood how much you love me, the meaning of your love, until I understood the cross, the meaning of your death. That was the only way. Jesus said, Lord, if this cup could pass, he said, if there was another way in his humanity, if this cup could pass, nonetheless, oh Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That's the love of our Savior. It is not God's will for us to perish. So, saints, may we be peacemakers and not troublemakers. That's what Babylon was, that's what they were doing. And judgment is coming upon them. Verse 17 tells us that 
violence was done to Lebanon. There was ill treatment to animals because they were cutting down trees and they were being ruthless. But God leaves no stone unturned. God is faithful. We can trust him continually. Verse 18, in your Bibles, you guys there? So six point, worship the creator, not creation. We were created for worship. Here's what the Bible says in the text. What profit, meaning what gain, what advantage, is the image that its maker should carve it? The molded image, a teacher of lies, the maker of its mold should trust in it to make mute idols. Verse 19, woe to him who says, would awake to silent stone, arise. It shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in there there is no breath at all. Imagine that. They're talking to stones and wood and trees. Hey, arise, talk to me. It's silly. It's asinine. But saints, that's what we do with idols. That's what we do, right? If you remember, back in Exodus, Moses up for the mountain. They're like, what's become of this Moses guy? Like, Aaron, what's up? You know what? Go make us idols so we can say you're the God that delivered us. You see the human condition? We just can't help but to worship. We were created for it. And if not God, it'll be something else. Amen? Amen? That's the way we were created. It is innate in us to worship. But to worship anything other than God, it's futile. It's foolish. So the Lord has the last and final woe, and it's most tragic. It has to do with the first and greatest commandment. Thy shall have no other gods before me, nor any graven images. Idolatry can be explained like this. It's worshiping and serving the creation rather than the creator. It's inordinate affections. We call it affection disorder, right? There's something wrong. We weren't created for that. Idols are dead substitutes for the living God. Amen? It's a dead substitute. It's not going to suffice. Hands can't touch. Eyes can't see. Right? Mouths can't talk. And most of all, ears can't listen. So it's futile for us. Now we think, well, Pastor Ken, we don't, we don't worship sticks and stones. We don't, we don't have these statues like they did back then. Okay, I'm going to start with my Gen ears. You have cell phones, social media, everywhere, every chance, head down, can't see, the next new post, the next like, click, heart, comment, on it, can't put phone down. Have to answer every notification. Anxiety grows as the bells ring. Ding, ding, ding. I know what it's like. I work with teenagers. I get it. Right? Don't take my phone away. Right? The new Be Real hit came out. I have to look. I have to answer to it. Saints, that's idolatry. It is because your Bible, when your Bible calls, you don't jump at it like that. Right? Just be honest. Okay? Got to be honest in church room. Remember, there's no condemnation, but there is conviction. Okay? It's good for us. Right? Scrolling, extensive scrolling, chasing the clicks, the likes, the hearts, the comments. A few weeks ago, I was at an event, and it was like kids from yay high all the way to teenagers. I typically like to greet people. I have this 17-year-old coming up, literally on his phone like this, walking. He, if I didn't say hey, he would have ran right into me. I'm like, hey, 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 how you doing? He couldn't even look at me because he was glued 
to the idol that can't talk, right? At least not anything real. That can't serve him, that, that can't show him the way, right? And I said, hey, like, like I said hi to you. Oh, okay, no, I can't miss the game. I can't miss the game. We just kept walking. I couldn't believe it. 17. 17. Stuck. Totally stuck. It is destroying our generation. The social media platforms have increased anxiety, depression, and many other mental illnesses. Then a big one that's sweeping the younger generation and sadly even some adults, it's called FOMO. Have you guys heard of that? Fear of missing out. If you have kids, they probably have it, okay? It's a real thing. It's anxiety that one, is, that one has that's caused by fear of missing out on a social event or any other positive experience, especially one that they saw or heard through social media. This stuff is real. See, the enemy will use social media platforms to present people's highlight reels and then make other people think they're missing out and that their lives aren't as fun and glorious as someone else's. Well, saints are just that, they're highlight reels, right? Nobody makes reels of bloopers. Nobody makes reels of the bad in their life. That's what it is on social media. You rarely see people post the bad things unless they want attention, right? But mostly it's the highlights. It's not real. That's not reality. That's not their life. That is a moment, okay? And we're not supposed to compare anyway, right? We're not. All of you are fearfully and wonderfully made and unique, and we are all a diverse expression of the glorious image of God, right? Red, brown, yellow, black, and white. We are all precious in his sight, amen? But our generation is chasing after acceptance. And I tell them, if you live for their acceptance, you will die to their rejection because the culture is constantly swaying back and forth like a pendulum. And what you may be accepted for today, tomorrow it'll change, right? Saints, can we be resolved and settle with, I'm okay with being loved, chosen, accepted, adopted, forgiven, enlightened, redeemed, sealed, and insured by my Savior? Amen? Amen, Amen somebody? Right? That should be enough because there's nothing outside of that that this world can give you. This younger generation and even some of us allow the enemies to use other people's highlights to make us believe we're missing out on meaningful connections, that other people's lives are significantly better than ours. One of my Bible students, when I, I, taught, I mentioned some of this in our chapel, and the kids lit up because they know they, they deal with it on a daily basis. He was like, Pastor Camper, you were right. Like, I go on my social media and I see someone working out and I, I get anxiety because I feel like they're getting gains and I'm not. This was serious. He's like, they're working out and they're getting swollen. I'm here at school. Like, what? This is real stuff. This is real. The enemy will use that. Not just on social media. Amen. Is that Jesus? <laughs> Amen. God is good. But the enemy will use those things. I remember, ultimately, saints, it's all vanity. If you're wondering, hey, you know what? What if I want that other car, right? Well, I want the big house. I want, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But if you want to know what it's like without actually knowing what it's like to have everything you ever wanted, when you wanted it, and restrain to nothing, just go read Ecclesiastes. Just ask King Solomon, right? He said all of it, vanity. He said, I restrain myself from nothing. 
every pleasure, every work under the sun. I did not restrain myself. And you know what? It left me empty. I chased it to its logical conclusion, vanity and emptiness apart from God. Saints, this is idolatry. It leaves you empty and void because you simply were not created to be filled by those things. Other things that are idols, clothes, cars, money, makeup, attention. Saints, if we have to wipe our cars every time a particle of dust gets on it, it's an idol, okay? If you have to post it by and take a picture, if you got to kick your feet up and wash it after you polish it, it's an idol, okay? I'm sorry. I have to tell you that. I love you. So I'm telling you, that's idolatry. You don't do that with the Bible, right? You forget your Bible, I'm good. You forget your phone. Oh, no, we got to go back. I know it's 100 miles away. We got to go back. Got to get it. Okay, I know. <laughs> I should, uh, I'm getting anxiety. I can't feel We got to go back and get it. I missed all my notifications. Now, again, I'm poking fun, but, but some, it's serious, though. It's serious. It's real, right? It shows, again, it's not wrong to have these things. It's not wrong to have. The Bible says God gave us all these things to enjoy, right? But the problem is, is that if I can't let it go, I, I really don't own it. It owns me, right? That can go with anything, a spouse, your children, your job, you name it. Comfort, sleep, laziness, okay? It all can be an idol, sticks and stones, okay? We look back, oh, no, we're not, no, 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 we do, right? Different face, same game. It's the same. And so the Lord calls them out, on it. This was the Babylonian nation full of greed, idolatry. This is our nation today. Lord, help us. Whatever we delight in other than God, whatever we are devoted to and sacrifice for, whatever we can't bear without is an idol and therefore places us under God's condemnation. We were not created for that. Saints, God doesn't command us to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength because he's just greedy. He needs all the glory. That's not why he commands that. The reason why he commands that is because he loves you. And guess what is best for you? Himself. Amen, somebody? Amen. Right? I know y'all tried other things and it didn't satisfy. It's because he's what's best for us. He's what we were created for. Therefore, in his holy commands, he has a safeguard for your relationship with him. And one of them is to love Lord God, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Amen. To have no graven images. To remember the Sabbath day. Why? Because that's a safeguard to our rest in him. Right? That is why. That shows you how much he loves you. It's always been said that you can tell a lot about somebody by the rules they have, right? You can tell a lot about the Lord by his commands that he gives us. God is what's best. He's the one who's worthy of the worship and us worshiping is what's best for him. So God tells the prophet Habakkuk, the idols are profitless. They're teachers of lies and they're not trustworthy. They are pointless creations. Babylon was treating inanimate objects as if they had life and intelligence. Saints, it's folly. But we do it. We do. We exalt things that are made with man's hands. We do. And the thing with idolatry 
It is the most degrading act that you can do. The reality of worship is you're worshiping something that's higher and better than you. You don't worship things equal or lesser value, right? Think about it. You don't worship. I'm not going to trade in something with equal or less. I want something more higher than that. I don't want to trade equal or lesser value. But when you have idolatry, that's what you're doing. It's not even really worship, right? It's because worship is high. Idolatry is low. And so it's a degrading act. And by the way, it doesn't take from God. God is God all by himself. You know what it takes from? It takes from you. It takes from me, right? That's how serious idolatry is. And God is going to judge Babylon for their idolatry. For context, for you note takers, Isaiah 44 and 9 says this. Those who make an image, all of them are useless and their precious things shall not profit. And they are their own witnesses. They neither see nor know that they may be ashamed Again, vanity. This is why Paul emphasized in Romans 1, 22 to 25, he said they exchanged the truth for a lie. And they worshiped and served creation rather than the creator who is foreverly blessed. Amen. It all started with Satan. Hey, you could, you could be like God, right? You can, you really can. Okay, it's idolatry, it's deception. That's Satan's job is to deceive you, to kill, to steal, to destroy, right? He is real. But the Bible says greater he who's in us than he who is in the world. Amen? That's real. Worship all by itself, reserved for one and one only. That is the triune God. He is the only one it's reserved for. When you look back in scripture, three angels mentioned in the Bible, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. Okay, one of them, Lucifer, we believe, literally had instruments of praise on inside. They said he was like a worship leader, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's 100%, but just, you know, research it later. He literally had pra- instru- uh, instruments of praise inside of him. But instead of having praise go through him to the Almighty, he wanted praise to go to him and thus resulted in him getting booted out of heaven. That was the first steel toe boot, by the way. That was God's boot, okay? Amen? Got booted out of heaven. Why? Because only God can handle worship. We can't handle it. Look at our, look at our movie stars, superstars. Look at our athletes. We can't handle worship. We just can't. We get beside ourselves. We lose our minds. We go insane. Worship is that powerful and is reserved for one alone. This is our society today. We have exalted, we have worshiped a community such as the LGBTQ community. We've given them months and parades and our rainbow, right? Now again, we didn't give that to them. They hijacked it, right? Yeah, these are still objects of God's love, right? We still want to shine light on them. I have students that question me all the time. We talk about it. We have fruitful conversations. And I had one student who had a, oh, I love his heart. He has such a tender heart. And he was like, well, Pastor Camper, like what, you know, for, for God, you know, what if they're moral and they're trying, right? What, what if they, they're being, they're kind to people, like they can't get another chance, like after death, you know? <clears throat> and, I, and I just, I loved his heart. Like he said, well, what, like, you have kids, right? He appeals to my children, right? Okay. I got six of them, by the way. Praise God. I'm blessed. <laughs> Praise God for my wife, though. Amen. Right. Um, he says, well, what if what if what if 
what if one of your kids, like, would you want them to go to hell? What if they, and I was honest, I said, well, they might. Like, I, they, they got to have their own faith. They might, you know, to be honest. It's not my heart. It's not God's heart. But the reality is this, is first and foremost, God wills that none shall perish. He does not delight in the death of the wicked. So what does that tell us? Well, if God wills, none shall perish. And if God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked, what in the world is the problem? Well, the, the problem is this, right? We loved and worshiped creation rather than the creator. We exchanged the truth for a lie. And those that are practicing that lifestyle have chosen to steamroll the cross of Calvary. Every day, every breath they take, every time they look up, every time someone shares the good news, they have said, no, I'm good. No, God, I'm good. No, God, I'm good. So if you think about how many seconds are in a day, how many minutes are in a day, how many hours in a day, months, years, when you add it all up and then that day comes, there will not be a soul that will say, Lord, I didn't know. Lord, why didn't you tell me? Because he's revealed himself in creation, conscience, and the gospel. And the Bible says there'll be none without excuse. So to answer your question, why after death they won't be able to, because it's appointed for a man to die once and afterwards is judgment. Your whole life you had grace. Every moment you woke up, you had God's grace and God's mercy. There won't be a single soul to say you didn't die for me, right? And as for my children, God died for them. And I pray they walk with him, right? I definitely know that's been the standard in our home. Not perfectly, but progressively. And so saints, this is the reality. We've exalted these movements that have caused people to be in delusion. It's not kind and loving if someone says, I think I'm a, I'm a telephone pole, and they're not, right? Now, I, just, I use that as an example, but I'm just saying. If someone says they're a fish and a turtle and they're creating the image of God, that's not loving for me to say, yeah, you know, I think you are a turtle. Like one of those, those amphibian ones, right? Like that's not loving. It's not. And so, and so for me, like I, I always tell them, look, hey, for whatever reason, I see, you know, that's the decision you made, but I just want to let you know you're actually creating the image of God and you have inherent value, worth, and dignity given to you by your creator, whether a society accepts you or not. Whether you've been through abuse or not, God determines that, not your circumstances, right? So we tell them the truth because Jesus said, whom the son sets free is free indeed. And it's the truth that sets you free. Amen. Saints, that's the message. It's the truth that tears down idols in our lives. It's the truth of God's word that frees us. It's the spirit of the Lord is where the spirit of the Lord is. There's liberty and there's freedom. Saints, God wants us to be free right? But we have to be bold to tell the truth. Right now, saints, sin is called sickness, so people think it requires therapy and not repentance. Habitual sin is called addictive or compulsive behavior, and many surmise its solution is medical care rather than moral correction. Now, again, I'm not saying that therapy is, is you shouldn't do it. Like that's, if that's something that's helping you, praise God, right? I'm not saying that counseling is of the devil, right? What I'm saying is it doesn't replace repentance and it doesn't replace the solution, which is Jesus, Amen. right? Amen. It doesn't replace it. And so you can get that and that may get you along for a little bit, right? But the reality is you need the cross, Amen. right? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Amen. There's more to be learned at the foot of the cross than anywhere else in the world. Amen. Amen. 
When people ask me, hey, what seminary do you go to? Foot of the Cross University. <laughs> foot of the Cross University. I learned everything at the foot of the cross. Amen? That's where I, that's where I learned all my lessons. The foot of the cross. Saints, that's the lesson for us to be learned. May we not forget the solution has been, always will be, never ceased being. It's Jesus. Jesus and more Jesus. Last point, and we'll close. The Lord is on the throne. Oh, I love that. Verse 20 says this, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. We see the contrast and the foundation of the woes. God assures Habakkuk and us that he has not left the throne. He has not given up his power. Jesus ultimately said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Everyone has to give an account. We all will stand before me. When we do, we will be silent. Okay? The knees will bend. The tongues will confess that he is Lord and he is king. And everyone will have to be able to give an account. The false god Dagon and Samuel, they put the Ark of the Covenant by him. They woke up. Dagon was bowed down with his head knocked off. Okay? Read first Samuel. Okay? All the gods all, everyone will bow before the Lord Jesus. This is the assurance that Habakkuk gets after he has a tussle and he wrestles with God. And so saints, I want to end with this. If there's anything that you guys are wrestling with, if there's things that with your children, with your spouses, with people in your family that you're questioning with God, like, why is this happening? Why hasn't this come to fruition yet? I've been praying in faith. I've been asking for this job. I've been asking for God to provide. I've been asking for healing. Aren't you Jehovah Rapha? Aren't you the healer, right? Why have I not been healed? I want to encourage you to wrestle with the Lord, right? Because when we see in scripture, when people wrestle with the Lord, they're never the same. Jacob never walked the same, right? Habakkuk went from perplexity to trusting to praising. This is what happens when you draw near unto him. And so I just want to encourage you guys, no matter what is going on, the assurance is this, the Lord is in his holy temple. He is in control. And that's why we walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Oh, you are worthy of our worship and our praise. And you did not despise the cross, Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Lord that you have adopted us into your very own family. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a personal God, that you hear us when we pray, you hear us when we cry out, and you work all things together for our good. We know, Lord, that our life is but a vapor. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. We thank you so much that you mend that which is broken, you make that straight which is crooked, and you turn beauty from ashes. So, Lord, we worship you tonight and we thank you for your word. And Holy Spirit, we just pray that you provide comfort and healing for those who need it. We lift up our pastors to you, our servant leaders to you, Lord God. We know you are Jehovah Rapha. You are, Lord, our healer. You are Jehovah Jireh. You are our provider. You are Jehovah Nisi, our banner. We worship, we praise, we honor you, Lord. If there's anyone in here who does not know you, Lord, we pray that they would recognize that they are doomed 
their back is against the wall. But Lord, you made a way. And that way is through Jesus. The true and living God, the invisible God made visible the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And Lord, it's by confessing and laying our whole weight on what Jesus did. That is how one can be saved. That is why your word says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Lord, we pray, we thank you, we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. The saint said,